and hello. We've reached the middle of the week, and we're here for the next three hours to tell you what's going on across the wonderful Southland. I'm General John Rawl. Thank you so much for being on with me here on this program. We keep it Southern, and we also kind of keep it real <laughs> the whole time that you are taking very, very generous chunks of your time to tune in. Thank you very much. If you want to connect to us, it's 803-816-1170. That number is how you can find us 24-7-803-816-1170. You can also find us on the good old World Wide Web. We're at y'all.com. That's Y-A-L-L.com. Y'all is the South's homepage. Go there and look at some great, great articles that we've just recently posted. All that at the homepage of the South, y'all.com. You can also find the Y'all Show in addition to being on great radio stations across the Southeast. We are available in podcast form. You can find this show, just search for the Y'all Show in Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, Spotify, as well as Stitcher. And there's probably about 50 other podcast options that I'm not even aware of that you can find us if you want to go do a little digging. All you got to do is, again, go on there and search for Y'all Show, and you'll see us. Despite what you got going on, you have zero excuses not to catch up with the latest episodes of the show that's all about the South. What is on tap here on this Wednesday edition. We've got news headlines. We've got sports headlines. We've got Mississippi State Bulldog information to pass on as MSU is our latest stop. This is our 42nd stop on our 44-city tour getting you ready for the start of college football. So today, we're in Starkville, a.k.a. Stark Vegas, the home of the Little Dewey, the home of just so many great memories for people who go to school at Mississippi State University. And we're going to take you there and give you a good dose of maroon and white and a little cowbell thrown in for good measure. It's Mississippi State here in hour number one. We'll talk about Mike Leach's 2021 team. We'll discuss the schedule for state. And we'll also, in this first hour, kind of walk you through the history of Mostly a dismal history of Mississippi State football, but we will tell you how this program's actually done pretty well over the last decade. Surprising what someone like Dan Mullen went in there and did some six years ago with fellows like Dak Prescott. Now, Mike Leach, the crusty commergent coach, he's leading this program. And we're going to hear from Mike Leach later this hour when we turn our attention to the bright lights of Davis Wade Stadium and tell you about Mississippi State's football team. Hour three today, we're going to scoot over and tell you about why do they wear, why do they ring cowbells at Mississippi State? Why do they say Hell State? Why do they hate that school up north? We'll tell you about all those traditions at Mississippi State University. We'll also discuss some famous alumni of MSU. That's coming up. Plus, I'll just kind of break down what Mississippi State University is all about. A guy named Stephen D. Lee was their first president. That would be General Stephen D. Lee. And we'll discuss the history, its agrarian roots there, and the Magnolia State and more. Mississippi State University. 
Hell, dear old state, you are our featured school today. Tomorrow, it's going to be Clemson. On Friday, our featured school, the Alabama Crimson Tide. And that'll actually wrap it up Friday because we will truly be in the thick of college football season here this weekend. Hey, I'm going to tell you more about it in sports. We got college football today. As in Montgomery, UAB and the Jacksonville State Gamecocks are kicking off this long extended week of college football games. They've got a game here in Montgomery on this Wednesday. You got a bunch of games Thursday, games Friday, games Saturday, games Sunday, and games Monday, at least a game on Monday night. So hello and happy college football. Speaking of college football, Here at the Y'all Show, let me tell you some programming notes. On Friday, our first hour will be the Y'all Kickoff Show. Our first hour is devoted to nothing but college football talk. And within that hour, we'll break down the games. You'll hear analysis. You will hear from coaches. We might even throw a few players in. You'll also have in the Y'all Kickoff Show, which is actually the first of our Y'all Show Friday edition, you're going to hear the return of the general as General Gridiron comes back for his fall 2021 run. And if you don't know what General Gridiron is, it is a 13-minute report that puts a humorous spin on the games being played on Saturday. And if you want some good humor and a good laugh to go along with college football Nobody does it quite like General Gridiron. And that's coming up in our first hour when we have our Friday Y'all Show. It's called the Y'all Kickoff Show. So how about that little programming note to tell you about as we get closer and closer to our end-of-the-week celebration on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Also in today's Y'all Show... We've got Melissa Rhodes dropping by. She's going to talk a little Southern culture to wrap up this first hour. Hour number two today, more sports, more headlines. And we've got an article courtesy of WTOP.com. And it is how to keep your child from being sent home to quarantine. We are seeing more and more children. We're seeing more and more schools go to virtual here because of the Delta variant. And we've got an article, again, courtesy of WTOP.com, How to Keep Your Child from Being Sent Home to Quarantine. That's part of our spotlight coming up in Hour 2. Plus, we'll discuss the latest top-selling books. That is our Southern Book Report, and we'll be filing that report at the end of Hour 2. Hour 3 today, again, that's where we'll mix in the traditions of Mississippi State and also let you know about some of the famous alums of Miss State University. They don't call it that. What am I saying there? Miss State. It's a, some people might call it a mistake with a K there. But no, Mississippi State's famous alum. We'll talk about that. And we'll also tell you all the other sports going on. There's a, actually a lot of different sports news making headlines today that we've got to get to here. Again, this is y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Let's go into what's going on here across the South on this middle of the week edition. We start off our headlines, and sadly, this comes to us from San Diego, but have you heard about a Navy helicopter crashing in the Pacific? And as of the latest reports that I'm getting here, it looks like five are missing and six people are hurt. 
So we've got some survivors, thank goodness. But rescue crews right there in the Pacific still searching for five missing sailors after their Navy helicopter crashed in the ocean off Southern California near an aircraft carrier. One sailor was rescued shortly after the crash of the MH60S MH60S helicopter. And that sailor listed in stable condition at a San Diego hospital. Also injured were five other sailors who were aboard the USS Abraham Lincoln aircraft carrier where the helicopter was operating on the deck before the crash. The statement from the United States Navy did not say how the crash about 70 miles off San Diego happened, but the fact that the sailors aboard the carrier were injured raised questions about whether the helicopter or parts of it hit the Lincoln, the USS Abraham Lincoln. So this happened well off of San Diego's coast, but close enough where these sailors were able to get to a San Diego hospital. We hope for the best. I hope the waters of the Pacific near San Diego have been rather calm here and they can reel in and get these sailors back on board and back to duty. But our thoughts with the United States Navy today with at least five sailors still missing after an accident on the USS Abraham Lincoln. President Joe Biden is going to visit Louisiana Friday and he'll survey Hurricane Ida damage and the recovery efforts that are going on right now in South Louisiana as that was confirmed today by the White House that he'll be visiting on Friday. The president will also meet with Louisiana local leaders and those impacted communities in the Pelican State. More details will be released in the future from the White House. U.S. Senator Bill Cassidy released a statement on President Biden's visit to the state of Louisiana. We thank President Biden for coming down to help, to help him understand the magnitude of the situation here in southeast Louisiana. We know from bitter experience with Hurricane Laura that aid can be delayed too long. We thank the federal partners who are already here helping with the recovery, and we will ask the president once again that supplemental aid be delivered to southwest Louisiana and expedited for southeast Louisiana. Again, Hurricane Laura, that was a storm from 2020 that went in more toward Lake Charles. And now this one coming in near Homa and southeast Louisiana causing a lot and a lot of damage. I'm still a little confused on the death count because I've seen some reports that say we've already seen 20 people lose their life as a result of Hurricane Ida. Now today we know this thing is causing lots of flooding and real problems in New England of all places. But I do know there's a lot of damage and sadly people are digging through the rubble and digging through the flooding and that includes the Louisiana coastal town of Homa as it is leaving this town, Ida, in tatters. Also, you've got right there on the Louisiana coast, Grand Isle, supposedly there's not a single structure that is intact there. They've either been completely blown away at Grand Isle or they're uninhabitable or inhabitable, I guess would be the word. And that's a story coming out of Grand Isle, which is way out. you got to really go. I've been there. It's it's a, a nice long ride from anywhere, not right by the bayou, to get out there. So most people are aware that you're kind of at the tip of the arrow there. But Homa is a fairly large city. And right now, this South Louisiana town is in nothing but shatters. Metal roofs peeled off buildings 
and they're covering sidewalks. And bricks from collapsed buildings are all over the streets as well as broken glass. And people are right now trying to clean up the debris. It is a mess in Bayou, Terrebonne, and, and also Homa. Homa has a 33,000 population. And most of those people survive off of the Gulf of Mexico. It's also a place where a lot of people catch those helicopters to go work out in the Gulf of Mexico on the oil rigs. And Homa is a kind of main town for that. But Homa, through its history, as it was founded back in 1832, well, it's had a lot of hurricanes come through there. Hurricane Katrina caused a lot of flooding and more. But this thing... The eye wall of Ida passed right through Homa with 150-mile-per-hour winds, and this Cat 4 hurricane really put a big, big problem, big, big hurt on this town in South Louisiana. So, again, we know that Homa is among many of the communities of South Louisiana hit hard by Hurricane Ida. Might want to see what you can do to help out. I am seeing, thankfully... Some good efforts put out by people well inland from South Louisiana to gather up supplies to send them to Hurricane Ida victims. So if you're aware of something going on in your town, please, if you've got a few extra dollars, if you've got a couple of extra pair of clothes or something that you know a hurricane victim would benefit from, please don't hold back. Please give. Like I said, I just saw a big giant... 18-wheeler truck on Tuesday night, actually, and it had a big sign on it, Hurricane Victim Unit or something. I was driving, so I wasn't completely paying attention, but it caught my eye well enough to know that I saw that good Southerners helping out good Southerners is always a good thing. John Schneider, the veteran actor, the singer, the Louisiana resident, John Schneider, He's in the news today. His home in Louisiana was severely damaged by Hurricane Ida when it went through. The 51, or rather, he's 61 years old. John Schneider, who played Bo Duke on the Dukes of Hazzard, put out a social media post. His post said, well, when something like this happens, you have two choices, tears and laughters. I choose laughter. So what's your caption? Here's mine. Miss Ida stopped by to see the general at Miss Shirley's last night. The reason he put that post out, John Schneider evidently owns two of the original General Lee cars from the Dukes of Hazard. One of these cars was smashed by a tree that fell down. It looks like a pine tree came down right on top of it. Surely to goodness it was not outside in the elements but this thing was so destructive when it passed through his part of Louisiana that it may have been in the garage or something like that. But it got really, really dangerous there. John Schneider and his wife were not in Louisiana. According to his publicist, John Schneider was actually in Middle Tennessee this week helping out flood victims from Waverly, Tennessee. He was out trying to help out Middle Tennessee when this storm comes through his home area in Louisiana and it caused all of this damage at his house. In fact, John had Hurricane Katrina severely damage his home, another home he had back in 2005. So 
There's a picture John Schneider has put up on his Facebook page of one of these original General Lees, it looks like, completely smashed by a pine tree there in his yard. And get this, the second General Lee, it is stuck in a tree. It looks like at least 10 feet off the ground. (laughs) It looks like a Photoshop deal. But supposedly this is real. This is down in Louisiana, and I don't have the actual town where this happened, but John Schneider in that 1969 Dodge Charger that General Lee made famous on the Dukes of Hazard. But one of them looks like it might be hauled off to the scrapyard after this thing came through. The other one, maybe there's not a scratch on it, but Mother Nature somehow stuck it way up in a tree. It looks like it's right in the middle of one of those famous jumps that they did on the TV show. I hope they can survive. And I want to know, I need to talk to John Schneider. It's been a year or two since we've had a chance to interview him. I wonder how many real General Lees are even out there. As I wonder how many were even made for the show. I know golfer Bubba Watson supposedly owns one, and he decided a few years ago to get woke and paint over the Confederate flag adorned atop the General Lee. I wonder how many are available, because a lot of people have their own versions of General Lee that are pretty neat. Some of them you really probably can't tell the difference, but John Schneider knows the difference. Okay, Hurricane Ida causing so much problems. Guess what? We've got more bad weather coming. We have Tropical Storm Larry. It is forecast to become a major hurricane. We're keeping an eye on that storm. You also have churning in the Atlantic right now, Kate. That one is not expected to cause any problems. It's expected to either fizzle out or head more due north, more toward Bermuda at this point. But the National Hurricane Center has named Tropical Storm Larry today. They are tracking what's called Tropical Depression, Kate, and another tropical wave in the Western Caribbean. None of the storms right now are an immediate threat to the country. NOAA's Weather Prediction Center said Ida had lost its tropical features and becomes a post-tropical storm today. But now Larry, the latest addition to the Tropical Storm Board, is forecast to become a Cat 3 hurricane or stronger by the end of this week. Right now, Larry is in the far eastern Atlantic 275 miles southwest of southernmost Cabo Verde Islands, tracking west at 22 miles per hour. This would not be a good time of year to be on the high seas in the Atlantic, somewhere between South Africa, or rather South America and Africa, because that's where these things appear to be coming through, and I guess sailors know that. They know to stay away from the mighty Atlantic in that portion of it this time of year, but Still got to get out there and sail the seas, don't you? Yes. So right now, again, the story is Tropical Storm and likely future Hurricane Larry making headlines on today's weather forecast. We will have more news coming here on Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern. Stay tuned. When we come back on y'all, though, we're going to switch over and bring you up to date on some sports stories of the day. And we've got some NFL news. The Dallas Cowboys have reached out to Charlotte. And they're bringing in a Charlotte native to be a backup quarterback for 
what some people call America's team. I'll tell you who that is and how that came to be. Also, we have Ed Orgeron. He is speaking here today, and I'll let you know what Ed Orgeron says about his own LSU football team. That plus Phil Mickelson, lefty in the news today, will explain why lefty is talking to the folks in the media. A little football, a little golf, all that coming up. And a reminder, Mississippi State University, the dogs are our featured school today. So stay tuned for a lot of maroon and white conversation. We're at the Dixie Cafe. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Sir, back on y'all, 803-816-1170. That is the text line. Hit us up, 803-816-1170. Let's get into some sports goings on today. We'll start with some NFL news. The New Orleans Saints have announced their opener set for next weekend will not be at Caesars Superdome. The game has been moved to Jacksonville, Florida. All this because of... The intense amount of damage and lack of electricity, frankly, in southeast Louisiana, specifically the New Orleans area. So this bank, this game is going to be played at the bank, Jacksonville's Tia Bankfield, September 12th. As New Orleans continues to recover from Hurricane Ida, the NFL announced Jacksonville as the alternate site for the game. Kickoff set for 425 Eastern, that is the original kickoff time. The Saints had shown interest in playing the game in Dallas, where they've set up temporary operations after evacuating New Orleans. But the Cowboys' AT&T Stadium was unavailable because of a concert scheduled in the venue later that week. That's a shame. It's a real shame. they got to pick up and go all the way to Jacksonville, then turn around and maybe go back to New Orleans, for goodness sakes. Maybe back to Arlington. The Saints' Week 2 and Week 3 games are on the road in Charlotte against the Panthers and then in Foxborough against the Patriots. So, surely to goodness, the next game they'll be playing at Caesar Superdome will indeed go on as scheduled. But that is the news today as Jacksonville's, their stadium there, the old Gator Bowl, hosting New Orleans and the Green Bay Packers. Two NFC teams getting it on in an AFC 
Stadium. More NFC news. The Dallas Cowboys have a new quarterback on their roster as they claimed Will Greer off of waivers. The Carolina Panthers had to end up cutting Will Greer on Tuesday as they're going to stick with Sam Darnold as their starting quarterback for the Panthers. And then their backup is going to be the former XFL quarterback, JT. Um, I'm, his name is slipping me at this point. Uh, maybe JJ something. I'll, it, maybe it'll come to me. But this is all about Will Greer. Will Greer, who again started his college career for the Florida Gators and then moved on to West Virginia, did a good job, was drafted by the Panthers in 2019. In the third round, he went to the Carolina Panthers. He's only seen real live action for a game or two back in the 2019 season. He's come along. If you saw some of the preseason work of Will Greer, I thought he did a a good job. I, I just assumed that Matt Rule and the Panthers would stick with three quarterbacks like they did in 2020. Maybe they would put Will Greer on the practice squad. Maybe that's what they thought they could end up doing, except when they cut him, anybody could swoop in and claim Greer, and that's what the Cowboys have done. The Cowboys released early in the week quarterback Garrett Gilbert. They've also waived Ben DiNucci as they got down to 53 players on their roster. So right now, if you're a Cowboys fan, here is your quarterback room. Dak Prescott, Cooper Rush, who's set up to be the backup, and now Will Greer, who I think is really good. I mean, he he's performed well. He's gotten better. And I think the Cowboys shouldn't be stressed out too much if Dak Prescott's not available. That at least I can't speak for Cooper Rush, but I know Greer, he may not be a long-time starting quarterback in the NFL, but I think he's good enough if called upon. And now he's moving on to the Dallas Cowboys. We have college football kicking off today. If you tune in to ESPN, starting at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, from the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama, it's the UAB Blazers and the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. This is an unusual pairing. This is a power, well, group of five, if you will. It's a FBS-level school, UAB, going to an independent site for a football game against an FCS team. That would be Jacksonville State. The Blazers and the Gamecocks, both of which call the heart of Dixie home, are having this kickoff game in Alabama's capital city, and ESPN is going to televise it. Again, this kicks off at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Montgomery time between the Jacksonville Gamecocks and UAB, one interesting connection between the two schools. UAB's very, very good football coach, Coach Clark, was at Jacksonville State prior to going to Birmingham. So perhaps that's the reason UAB is willing to go play this one in Montgomery. It also could be the fact that UAB's incredibly nice football stadium may not be totally ready to be moved into. And so they knew that, and that's why this one This has been on the books for a while to be played in Montgomery, but UAB's home opener in their brand-new stadium is not going to be for a couple of more weeks in case you want to 
pull out your Blazers season ticket package. You can see that for yourself. It's going to be a couple more weeks. Ed Ogeron says all LSU football players, coaches, and their families are now safe after Hurricane Ida has come through. Coach Ogeron did say some families experienced severe damage to their homes and have been displaced by the storm that caused lots of flooding in Louisiana and across New Orleans, too. Coach Orgeron said that his administration had been trying to help with anyone who was needed who's needed help. Everybody's okay. Some of their houses are damaged. Some are displaced in hotels. For the most part, I think everybody's fine. The LSU football team took off on Saturday night from Baton Rouge, got stuck in traffic as they headed west on Interstate 10. They ultimately got to Houston early on Sunday morning and have been practicing there in Houston getting ready to head on to L.A. for a game against UCLA at the Rose Bowl on Saturday. Now, LSU's hometown, Baton Rouge, that city, the capital city of the Pelican State, did sustain significant damage from Hurricane Ida, and most of Baton Rouge still without players. If you're wondering, the Bayou Bengals have 60 players on their roster who are native Louisianans, and that roster doesn't include the head coach as Ed Orgeron's hometown is La Rose right on Bayou Lafouche. And that hurricane this week crossed right over La Rose, Louisiana, right near Homa. Right, it's, it's right on the bayou. I can't imagine how bad that area is hit right now. I know it has sustained heavy damage from Hurricane Ida, so we'll certainly keep that in our thoughts there as Orgeron is among Many of the LSU faithful who are going through such damage this week and several people, as we know, lost their lives as Hurricane Ida has passed through Louisiana and Mississippi this week. When the Y'all Show returns, we're going to take you to Starkville. As Mississippi State is our featured school, it is stop number 42 on our 44-city tour across the South, getting you ready for the start of college football. I'll walk you through Mike Leach's schedule, what he's got for his bullies. Also, we'll hear from the head coach of MSU. That's all ahead on Talk with a Southern Accent. The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. And I just looked over there at that kicker, and he's right now taking his socks off. So where that toe can meet leather, and it's going to be flesh on leather in just a matter of hours. Welcome back to the show all about the South, a.k.a. Dixie, a.k.a. the greatest part of the world. Also, this is where college football is king. And even in a place called Starkville, football rules the day. Now, that's hard to say there in Starkville because they just had a national championship college baseball team. Way to go, Chris Lamonis, a true bulldog. 
El Cid, that is. But today, we are in Starkville to talk college football. Mississippi State has a game Saturday against Louisiana Tech. I'm going to tell you about that. You're going to get a chance to hear from Mike Leach in a second, but right now, it is that Mississippi State Bulldog fight song. El Dero State. All right, we're back here talking about MSU and getting you ready for 2021's college football frenzy. Mississippi State has Louisiana Tech as their game one opponent, and that game's going to be going down in Stark Vegas on Saturday. It's going to be a three central time kick from Davis Wade Stadium. ESPNU is going to be televising that game. Let's go ahead and walk through the schedule, then we'll get on to some of the prognostications of the maroon and white, and I'll let you know about Mike Leach. We'll even hear from the head coach of the Bullies. Besides Louisiana Tech as game one, MSU has got, what a great game. I need to get my tickets for this one. NC State makes a trip to Davis Wade, and this one is going to be set for September 11th. It's going to be a primetime game between the Pack and the Dogs week two. This is another great game, especially if you're in the Mid-South. The Memphis Tigers welcome in Mississippi State as Memphis heads to the Liberty Bowl, and it'll be a September 18th game there right along Highland when the Bulldogs and the MSU, or I shouldn't say, when MSU meets what was MSU, and now they call themselves the U of M. How about that? Tigers and Bulldogs, September 18th on ESPN2. LSU, they are Mississippi State's first SEC game as the Bayou Bengals come in for a game on September 25th. The Bulldogs go off to Texas where Jimbo Fisher, who just got a nice little pay bump this week, Jimbo and the Aggies welcome in the MSU Bulldogs to Aggieland for a game October 2nd. The Bulldogs have number one Alabama. I don't know if they'll be number one come October 16th, but they likely will be. Alabama, Mississippi State set for Davis Wade Stadium on the 16th of October. Then a rare trip to Music City as MSU takes on Vanderbilt on October 23rd. Their cross-divisional rival, Kentucky, comes in to Octibaha County for a game on October 30th. The Bulldogs pack their bags and head all the way to Reynolds Razorback Stadium where Arkansas is the opponent on November 6th. The Bulldogs also on the road the following week as they'll be at Jordan-Hare Stadium. It's Auburn and Mississippi State on 13 November. How about this unusual matchup? They're going to go to the OVC's Tennessee State Tigers. TSU goes to Starkville for a game on November 20th. And then Starkville is where you'll find the Egg Bowl this year. This game's set for Thanksgiving night. November 25th, ESPN will have it. It's Mississippi, Mississippi State to wind up the Bulldogs' 2021 schedule. What are the pundits saying about Mississippi State? Well, we just got released this week, just hours ago, the depth chart for Mike Leach's ball club. And I'll walk through what I can tell you a little bit about some of the positions if you look at where Mississippi State's set to play. Of course, the Bulldogs have their first-string quarterback listed as either Will Rogers or Chance Loveridge. 
And I thought Will Rogers was dead set to be the starting quarterback because Will Rogers did pretty well, I thought, in 2020. But perhaps Mike Leach has had other thoughts throughout the offseason. Those two, Rodgers and Leverich, battling for the QB job. Rodgers did play in nine games for MSU last year. Leverich transferred in from South Alabama. That's why I'm not as familiar with him. At running back, MSU will start one of two sophomores, Jaquavarius Marks or Dylan Johnson. Also, redshirt senior Austin Williams and sophomore Jaden Wiley are listed as co-starters at the wide receiver position. And also, if you look at what's going on with the defense of MSU, Jordan Davis, right now, he's battling injury. He tore an ACL earlier this month, and it's going to miss the entire season. So that's why some changes on the depth chart there. It looks like the team has not confirmed or discussed that injury. Maybe they think they can get him back in time, but certainly some questions about MSU's defense at this point. I can tell you some special teams info. It looks like redshirt senior Tucker Day is going to likely be the punter as he's listed on this depth chart. And long snapper, I know you've been wondering who that might be. Well, I can only narrow it down to two people, Hayes Hammond or Colby Cox. But that is the projected, some of the information coming out of Starkville as far as the depth chart. Mike Leach now entering his second full year coaching Mississippi State. Of course, this guy comes over from Washington State where he had been in that program about eight years prior to that. Did a fantastic job at Texas Tech in some strange, out-of-the-ordinary reasons. The reason he ended up leaving Lubbock after 2009. The head coach at Mississippi State currently, he's got a 4-7 and seven record. Last year was not the best of years for MSU, for this California native who got his undergrad degree from BYU. And I love the fact this guy has a law degree from a very prestigious Pepperdine University. Pretty neat. And Leach, again, part of that air raid offense through the years. He was at Valdosta State, went on with Hal Mummy and was the offensive coordinator back in the late 90s at Kentucky with Tim Couch and more. Was at Oklahoma for a brief spell before getting that head coaching job in 2000 in Lubbock and was there nearly a decade before he moved on to Washington State. And I was very impressed when he got hired at Mississippi State. I thought and and still think he can do wonders at MSU. The problem was I think he got hired at Mississippi State personally because it was a good PR move. This is a this is a well-known figure coming into Mississippi State after they fired Moorhead after, what, two years, I think, at Mississippi State, and Moorhead went in there after Mullen had done such a fantastic job before he took off for the bright lights of Gainesville. So getting Mike Leach was a, a nice positive momentum thing. The problem was that school up north, the University of Mississippi, ends up hiring Lane Kiffin that same offseason. And right now, Lane Kiffin's got more buzz about his program than Mississippi State, and it didn't help Mike Leach that he lost his first Egg Bowl matchup against that school in Oxford. So Mississippi State needs to take this year and the opportunity that is presented and do a lot better than they did in Leach's first year. Four and seven. Now, to their credit, they did go to the Armed Forces Bowl, They did get a 28-26 win over Tulsa 
in that game played in Fort Worth. What a strange game. Remember that game had a fight at the conclusion? I'm not so sure that we're not going to see some suspensions even here this year for it because it was just really weird. I mean, actual punches being thrown at the end of an Armed Forces Bowl, for goodness sake, that Mississippi State won that game, and they went into that with a 3-7 and seven record and still ended up victorious over the Golden Hurricane. But this year, MSU wants to do a lot better than an Armed Forces Bowl. They want to have a lot better season. And Mike Leach is the guy tasked with figuring out how to do all that. Let's go in and hear from the head coach. And I love hearing from Mike Leach. You're going to hear from him fairly often this fall because when Mike Leach talks, people listen. He's kind of our EF Hutton of college football. And he usually has pretty pretty impressive things to say. And he usually is pretty funny in the way he does it. So here is Mississippi State's head football coach talking about his team's upcoming game against Louisiana Tech, his roster, and more. Coach Leach. Well, I've never had a team where I want them to be. I mean, I always think they can improve, but they're excited. Everybody's excited to play. Everybody's excited. It's game week. We've had better, more consistent practices uh, up to this point than we did last year. In terms of Will's preparation, what kind of stands out to you about what he does just to get prepared between his practice and, and well he works extremely hard you know he's constantly studying he's constantly on the film and then the other thing it's not just uh you know the film um blurring along i mean he draws quite a bit out of it he's able to pull quite a bit out of it you know uh, some guys will watch film because you know they know they should or they want to and they know you want them to but they don't really get much out of it you know and uh and, you know, his dad's a coach, so I think that's helped him know how to watch film. So Will does get quite a lot out of it when he watches it. I know Will and Chance are roommates and good friends off the field. I mean, how much do you kind of see them bouncing ideas off each other and helping each other out going into the season? They do it all the time. They do it in the meeting room. You know, you'll hear them doing it walking on and off the field because Chance is a good student of the game, too, is always watching. But, you know, they're, they're both kind of that way, constantly talking football for you for game week what does each day look like what do you try to accomplish each day uh we just try to get have consistent practices and finish them you know because um <clears throat> the biggest thing is the routine the whole process and get as much out of it as you can and you know you got to be engaged and focused to do it and then a lot of that uh, starts with eliminating distractions i thought we did a good job today all right mike leach you know he makes about five million dollars a year coaching mississippi state university I'm sure y'all can get by with $5 million a year. Somewhere along the way, somebody needs to point out to Coach Leach, hey, Coach, you got enough money in the bank. You ought to go always have a couple of cough drops in your, in your pocket because every time I hear him talk, he's always clearing his throat. And I'm no perfect angel when it comes to throat clearing myself. <clears throat> but I also don't have $5 million floating around in my pockets either. Just saying. All right, let me tell you about Mississippi State football history. And as a guy who has spent plenty of time in Starkville, and as a guy who has lived in Mississippi for more than a decade, Mississippi State football has really, throughout time, been pretty bad. I'm sorry to stick it into you, MSU fans, but it's, it's true. 
This is a school that's never won a national title, never come close to a national title. They've only got one SEC title, 1941, and if you go back and look at that year, Alabama claims that as a year they won a national championship, 1941. They went to the SEC championship. That's actually something the school in Oxford's never done, to MSU's credit. But the one year they won an SEC West crown, 1998, if you go back and look, at least one or two, possibly two, of the SEC West schools that year were ineligible to even go play in Atlanta. So that helped out Jackie Sherrill's program to get to the big lights and big sounds of Atlanta's Georgia Dome at that time. Mississippi State, again, just just bad historically compared to the rest of the SEC. And this goes way back. I mean, this is a founding member of the Southeastern Conference. Even Vanderbilt has won more than Mississippi State going way back, that is. So, again, apologies. Mississippi State, you ought to be a big big school now. You're a national champion school thanks to your baseball team, so it shouldn't be all that hard for me to sit here and tell you the truth. Jackie Sherrill did bring in some notoriety. This is a guy who had been a national championship coach, had coached at Texas A&M and Pitt, and he comes in there, the Mississippi native, had hired in 1991. And in those 1990s, MSU football was ho-hum. They got into the Cotton Bowl for a game on one occasion. But overall, controversy. Overall, I think MSU got in some probation at that time. And they still were, even in their best years of the 90s, were losing to that school in Oxford half the time. So Cheryl goes away. Sylvester Croom hired another Alabama guy, by the way, as Jackie Sherrill had played at Alabama. Then another Crimson Tide alum, Croom, who was a Tuscaloosa native, he's hired the first black football coach in the history of the Southeastern Conference. Croom comes in, lots of publicity, lots of interest in what he did. And he got the team to at least one bowl game while he was there. And then he collapsed at the end, absolutely collapsed. I was at the last game Sylvester Croom coached at Mississippi State. 45 to 0, they lost to a resurgent Mississippi team in Oxford that day. 45 to no, 0. And, and Croom didn't really have a reason why his team got beat up so bad. And he was fired or forced to resign, however you want to put it. But that departure of Sly Croom brought in a fellow named Dan Mullen. And now we get to the highlight of Mississippi State's football history. This guy took a lemon and made lemonade. Now, not every year for Dan Mullen was wonderful, but for the most part, his tenure in Stark Vegas was extremely impressive. With, I mean, he didn't go to a bowl in 2009, his first year, but every single year that he was a coach, Mississippi State University went to a bowl game and this is a school that hardly ever went to bowl games prior to his arrival. That's how good of a coach Dan Mullen is. The highlight, of course, would have been 2014 when they went to number one in the entire country midseason. They had 
a miraculous season going before Alabama beat them at Bryant-Denny 25-20. Then they end up losing to the Mississippi Land Sharks, and they lost their bowl game. This is what was crazy. They went to the Orange Bowl that year, and Georgia Tech beat the snot out of them 49-34. That was the last game played in college football in the year 2014 because I stayed up watching that one, and I think it was uh, New Year's Day right after that. I think they were actually celebrating when the clock struck midnight right there, Georgia Tech that was. So now after Mullen takes off back to Florida where he had been an assistant coach under Urban Meyer, Mississippi State's got Mike Leach, and I know that State's had a history of bringing in a handful of players that have gone on, but you can put on one hand, I think you can. Again, I'm not picking on State, but I'm just telling you the truth, State. I can name – I really can't name, but if you go back through their entire football history, I can't really come up with more than – I think I can put them on one hand – the number of players that have played football at Mississippi State that at least have gone on and done amazing things in the NFL. And two of those are right now. Fletcher Cox, boy, he's a good, good defensive player for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then you got Dak Prescott. Those two, and then from years past, it's hard. I know there's been a handful. It's, it's really been painful. One of their most famous alums played in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills, and then his most, I guess, uh, I guess you could call it dubious or interesting or weird transitions is after playing for the Buffalo Bills, he ended up becoming an NFL official. And I've actually talked to this guy before. And what's crazy about him is he decided after his NFL career ended and his professional career outside of football started, Steve Freeman is who I'm talking about, who played for the Bills nearly a decade. You might remember Steve Freeman back in the early 80s. A defensive back for Buffalo who played at Mississippi State back in the early 70s. Where did Steve Friedman, one of the best football players to ever come out of Mississippi State University, decide to settle down after his NFL career? (laughs) He moved to Oxford. And he's, a, I think, a home builder and a rancher in Oxford, not Starkville. How crazy is that? His own son is one of the big uh, parks-type people, helps run Oxford Park Commission, or, or at least did. Steve Freeman, one of the, again, five or so people. And Steve Freeman's also an NFL, if I didn't tell you this, he's, he's been an NFL official. He's, he's refereed in the back judge, I believe, is the position he's had. He's refereed a couple of big games like the Super Bowl. A few years ago, I was watching an NFL game with my favorite team, and Steve Freeman, in my opinion, absolutely cost my team a very crucial game that I think ended their season. So, yeah, Steve, I've got words for you when I see you. But that's a history, a little bit of the interesting info on Mississippi State University football. Coming up, Hour 3, 
We're going to talk about Mississippi State University as a school, what all they got going on there. They also have a lot of alumni, and some of them are pretty famous, from the best-selling, best-selling author, the best best-selling author is what I should say, to where, what else they got. Does Mississippi State, they don't currently have a senator. Yes, they do. Woo! Shame on me. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> They've got an alumnus that's a big United States senator right now. And she's not even from representing the good Magnolia State. We'll talk about all that. Again, hour number three is when we'll do that. Up next here on Y'all, we'll wrap up hour one. Melissa Rhodes, she is going to be dropping by and telling us about some good Southern tradition and Southern culture. And that's up next. Get your cowbells out. We're talking Mississippi State today. Hell State. Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. As the country prepares to honor its workers on Labor Day, Crime.com has posted a timely article, What are considered the hardest jobs in America? As the article says, a hard day at work is something that the average American worker typically experiences at least once on the job. And those hard jobs Crime.com list, and bless your Southern heart if you have one of these gigs, Fishermen who have to deal with slippery conditions, the ocean, and long hours. Coal miners dealing with the dark, constant threats of cave-ins and lung issues. Broadcast news analysts who must deal with lots of travel, usually low pay and high stress. Logging workers with dangerous equipment, inclement weather conditions, and falling trees. And lastly, line installers and repairers. With constant risk of death, they need to maintain balance and unpredictable hours. Southern History Fun and More at y'all.com. And thank you, Melissa, for that. You know, after hearing that report of those really dangerous jobs out there, I don't think I'm going to be complaining too much about being your ambassador for the South. This is a, a fairly safe job, I think. Although, look out, I might have a lot of incoming hate mail headed my way. <laughs> By the way, email wise, you can reach us at y'all show at y'all.com or, or, or actually that's one way but you can also reach us easily at mail m-a-i-l at y'all.com hour one in the books we got hour two here on this first day of september that is right around the bend here stay where you are Hour two is here. Hello, I'm John Rawl. I have the South laid out right in front of you. And if you're right here in the South and you're wanting to know what's going on in our neighborhood, in y'all's neighborhood, well, this is a show that you're going to learn all that. You can be nosy here on this show because I'm actually just kind of laying it all out there for you. You don't even have to break a sweat. 803-816-1170. That's how you can reach us here. That's our contact number. Text us. We want to hear from you. 803-816-1170. We're broadcasting from the Dixie Cafe, the intersection of hot water cornbread and hot, 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 hot southern conversation. 
and we want you to be part of that Southern Conversation. Again, 803-816-1170. Hour two today, we've got headlines from across the Southeast that we will continue covering. We've got a lot of stuff going on, and we are happy to do that today. Some of the headlines that we'll be telling you about here in a second. Labor Day sales. Some of the best deals if you're out looking to save a little bit of money. I can help you with that information as Labor Day is upon us. Also here in our headlines today, a man in char- in Florida charged in a plot to extort $25 million from Matt Gates's daddy. That's the Florida congressman from the Panhandle. And he's been kind of hinting for a while that a lot of this stuff about him is extortion and at least somebody's been arrested maybe matt gates knows what he's talking about also sadly a story out of blackshear georgia a five-year-old girl there killed when a stone monument fell on her she was playing and this 300 pound monument fell on her i'll share you with you that tragic news out of the peach state also i was doing a little digging around in the break and i found courtesy of a website called Google that they have, and I can't vouch for, I can't Anthony Vouchy, I can't tell you for sure if this is a thousand percent correct, but according to Google, they've got their own little map that shows you the total doses of vaccine given in each of our states, the people fully vaccinated, and the percentage of fully vaccinated. And I thought I'd play around with this little online map with you. We'll do it, and we'll surf around the South and kind of compare numbers. We've caught a lot of grief here in the South from some about having low numbers of fully vaccinated individuals. So I'll, according to, again, Google.com, they got this real-life, up-to-date map that shows all these numbers, and I will relay all that to you here as we continue on with headlines from across the South. Also, Michelle Obama in the news. She's going to get an award from a museum in Memphis. We'll discuss that here in our headlines today. Plus, Bonnaroo. That is a big, big music venue that happens, an opportunity for people to listen to some of the sounds of, uh, I don't even know what kind of music you'd call it. They're doing a good job of bringing in more than the grunge band stuff to Manchester, Tennessee. But Bonnaroo which has already been pushed back because of COVID twice now, it's now canceled for this year. And I'll tell you the reason. Tough times there for this big music festival, a music festival that so many people try to get to southern middle Tennessee and enjoy. And unfortunately, this this latest one, which was supposed to be happening in just days, it's now been canceled. That's part of our news headlines we'll get to today before we get out of here. We've got some sports news to pass along this hour as well. Also, we're going to tell you how to keep your child from being sent home to quarantine. That is an article up at WTOP.com, and I'm going to relay that in just a few minutes here. Before the hour is up, we'll go to the book world and give you the number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five best-selling books at the New York Times. So a Southern Book Report will be filed here in hour number two. And today, before we get out of here, we'll get back to Starkville, and we'll tell you in hour three 
more about Mississippi State University and its great alumni and its traditions as we are on a 44-city tour getting you ready for college football's big start. And the big start, for sure, would be Saturday. But a reminder, we got a college football game going on today as Jacksonville State, the Gamecocks out of the OVC, are in Alabama's state capital as they're playing in the Crampton Bowl, a game against the mighty UAB Blazers out of Conference USA. It's an FBS-FCS battle in the heart of Dixie's capital city, and it's going to be on ESPN on Wednesday night. How about that? Then plenty more games coming on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and even Sunday and Monday. Let's get into the headlines here on y'all this hour. As we reported earlier in the show, President Joe Biden set to visit Louisiana Friday. I don't have his schedule. It's not quite been released, but he is going to the Pelican State to visit damage from Hurricane Ida and to meet people in that state who've been severely affected by this hurricane that passed through Louisiana earlier in the week. So the president going to see his constituents in that state. Now, we're already seeing some information come in from our cities and towns in Louisiana, and one report says that the town of Homa, Louisiana, is in tatters, damage everywhere, and then Grand Isle, which is one of only two beach towns in Louisiana. Grand Isle has essentially been wiped off. It's, it's there, but none of the structures are there, according to some of the reports that I'm seeing. So, tough, tough times. And you know it's tough when John Schneider's home in Louisiana was damaged so much, though, that two of his General Lee cars from the Dukes of Hazard have been damaged. One looks like it's going to go sent, be sent to the stockyard, uh, uh, to the, what do they call that, salvage yard pretty soon because a pine tree went right across the top of that beautiful General Lee car and its Confederate battle flag General Lee label there on top of the roof. And it looks like it's seen its last days. But another General Lee that John Schneider owned, it's resting in a tree some 10 yards, 10, 10 feet to 10 yards. I can't tell by the picture. Off the ground! And all I'm thinking when I see this photo of which John Schneider has put up on his Facebook page, you can go there for yourself and look at the actor John Schneider's Facebook page and see these pictures. All I can think about when I see this General Lee up in that tree is watching the Dukes of Hazard as a kid and, and, and hearing and hearing somebody go, <laughs> and I think John Schneider's kind of putting a little humorous spin on this. I know it's tragic to see it. He even talks about it in his Facebook post that he could either go two routes. He could either be crying or he could be trying to make a little bit of a laugh. John Schneider and his wife were not in Louisiana when this storm passed through earlier this week as he went into Middle Tennessee to help out flood victims. And that's where he was when Ida passed through. In a tweet, Schneider said, we're headed back and seem to be the only ones on the road. I'm I'm getting a real look at the damage to mom's house in the morning and then head back to Tennessee to continue flood relief. All people and pups are good. May have a hurricane sale at Miss Shirley soon, he added. Schneider and his wife, Alicia, 
were in Tennessee helping collect emergency supplies for victims of that rainfall in Humphreys County when Hurricane Ida passed through that state. But where he primarily lives, Louisiana, his home there beat up bad. In fact, this is that post he put out there saying, Well, when something like this happens, you have two choices, tears and laughter. I choose laughter. And he went on to add, so what's your caption? Here's a here's mine. Miss Ida stopped by to see the general at Miss Shirley's last night. And then he put that picture from his yard of the two General Lees being affected by this storm. Hmm. Tough, tough, tough times for John Schneider and all of those in Louisiana, Mississippi, and other places that are having to get past Hurricane Ida. An update from the panhandle of Florida. A man charged in a plot to extort $25 million from Congressman Matt Gates's family. Now, if you know anything about politics right now, Matt Gates has been a huge ally of President Donald Trump, and he has been part of many, many bad news stories. The left absolutely detests Matt Gates, and many Republicans detest Matt Gates. And those of us who are Sometimes hair challenged. Well, we don't like Matt Gates either because he's got a nice quaff, if you will. Well, one of the men who Matt Gates accused of being behind a plot to extort $25 million from his family in exchange for having a federal sex investigation into the congressman go away, that man's now been indicted on charges of wire fraud and attempting to stop authorities from viewing his iPhone. And on Tuesday... A federal grand jury in Pensacola indicted Stephen Alford. The indictment doesn't name the victims or alleged participants and refers to Matt Gates's father, Don Gates, a former president of the Florida Senate in Tallahassee. It refers to him as D.G. Don Gates. The indictment says Alford was part of a scheme to get $25 million from, quote, D.G. Matt Gates has gone around saying this and... Man, he was nearly thrown out of Congress a couple of months ago. And here he is at least having a positive spin on some of the accusations against him as someone now has been charged in an extortion or alleged extortion plot against the Gates family. To southeast Georgia, Blackshear is the town. And sad news from Blackshear, a five-year-old girl died this week after a stone monument fell on her while she was playing. Eight-year-old, a five-year-old named Bella Bennett and her eight-year-old sister were playing on this monument outside of the Lee Street Resource Center when this 300-pound stone monument toppled over. I looked at the picture of this stone. It was a stone put up, it looks like to remember a old school that might have been there on that same property. I think that's what it was. And this stone ends up toppling over on the five-year-old. And she ended up being airlifted to Wolfson Children's Hospital in Jacksonville, where she was ultimately pronounced dead. The girls lived near this building where the stone was. And a a just tragic thing of a five-year-old playing and dying when a stone monument crashes down on her. Hmm. All right, let's go to the fact that today is September 1st. September 1st in the state of Texas can kind of be a big deal. As the Lone Star State today 
has 600, uh, this is kind of a bad omen, 666, 666. Texas has 666 new laws that have gone into effect today. Some of these laws from the 87th legislature of Texas went into effect immediately, while others go into effect in 2022 or some as late as 2026. 666 new laws. I know you're all going to the mailbox and pulling out your directory of Texas legislation and reading up on all of the various laws that have passed the Texas legislature. (laughs) Um, All kinds of laws. Let me go through a few that might be worth talking about. One law is about the budget. As the House and Senate of Texas approved a two-year $250 budget, $250 billion budget, that is, Another one, the Star-Spangled Banner Act is a new law. It requires that the national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, that they be played before games played by professional sports teams that contract with the state. (laughs) The Star-Spangled Banner Act in Texas. You better be playing that Star-Spangled Banner or you're going to be in violation of state law in Texas. They also have the Texas Heartbeat Law. Now, I've been seeing some stories about this one the texas heartbeat bill bans abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected which can occur about six weeks into a pregnancy and before many women know they are pregnant the law allows private citizens to enforce the rule not the state through civil lawsuits against doctors and others similar laws in other states have been successfully challenged in federal court though texas lawmakers hope placing enforcement in the hands of citizens will help defeat challenges. Yeah, the catch there is that sometimes women don't even know they're pregnant. And that is something that ties into this Texas heartbeat bill. Again, go out to your mailbox or go down to your local Books A Million and pull up your book on Texas laws and legislation and you can read a whole lot more about this Senate Bill 8 that's now Texas law. One of the laws passed is Senate Bill 69 in Texas. It's the police chokeholds law. Police officers in Texas no longer allowed to use a chokehold, carotid artery hold, or similar neck restraint unless it's necessary to prevent injury to the officer. Police officers also have a duty to intervene to stop or prevent another police officer from using force against a person is that if that force exceeds what is reasonable or if the officer knows the use of such force is a violation of law or puts a person at risk or bodily injury. Again, these are just in Texas. Today, I don't know how, why. Maybe they made this a law way back when the Alamo battle ended in the 1830s. But they have laws that go into effect come September 1st. This isn't even, if you look at the calendar, the start of a new quarter. This is September 1st. This is, don't think you have the, well, I guess in history this day would be the day the Germans invaded Poland to start World War II. This is not May Day, obviously, September 1st. It is some kind of, well, I guess internationally it might be some kind of workers' holiday. We have Labor Day, but it's not necessarily tied into September 1st. I don't know what they were thinking in Texas. You know, maybe they didn't think very much at all when they made September 1st kind of a, a hot deal. A lot of states have July 1st as a day that many state laws go into effect. 
As mentioned a few minutes ago here on the Y'all Show, we have, thanks to Google, some data coming in. Google Maps is tracking the COVID vaccine doses and those who are fully vaccinated within a given state. And I've got the entire Southeast pulled up here since we've been talking about them. Let me start with Texas. Again, this is information coming in from Google.com about vaccinations. And in the Lone Star State, they've given over 30 million vaccines thus far. And the percentage of Texans who are now fully vaccinated is right at 48%. More than half of the state is not vaccinated. That's Texas. And I'm going through this list because the South's been getting really beat up for our, the vaccination rates in our respective states. So I'm going to just tell you from left to right, if we look at a map, where we are as a region. Oklahoma right now has a 44% fully vaccinated rate. So I've got to also keep track of who's the worst from a fully vaccinated standpoint. So Oklahoma <laughs> trumps Texas at this point with only 44% of its citizens being fully vaccinated. More than 3.8 million doses of the vaccine given in the Sooner State. 44% total, again, vaccinated. To the Show Me State, they're not much better in Missouri compared to Oklahoma. 45.2 of Missouri is fully vaccinated. Right around 6 million vaccines given in the Show Me State. In Arkansas... They now take the banner as the lowest state. 41.8% of the natural state citizens are fully vaccinated, with still shy of 3 million total doses given in the state of Arkansas. In Louisiana, they are at 41% also, 41.6% of their citizens fully vaccinated Over 4 million doses given in the state of Louisiana. In the state of Mississippi, they now take the banner of being the lowest. 38.4% of Mississippians are fully vaccinated. 2.5 million doses given in the Magnolia State. But right now, still 38%. That's extremely low. And that is part of the reason. I don't want to get into Fauci. I'm not Fauci, but... Probably is not a good thing to make the coronavirus go away when you have low numbers like that. Let's move on to Kentucky. Kentucky, 48% of its citizens fully vaccinated with over 4.7 million vaccines administered in the Bluegrass State. In the state of Tennessee right now, 42% of volunteer state residents have been vaccinated, and that's over 6 million doses administered from Memphis to Bristol. In the heart of Dixie, Alabama, they're at 38.4% vaccination with over 4 million doses totally given out at this point. 38.4 in Alabama. They are tied with Mississippi with that same low mark. Now to the Sunshine State. Congratulations. Florida is the first state that I'm telling you about so far that has reached over 50% as 53.2% of Sunshine Staters have been vaccinated. Over 25 million Floridians have been vaccinated. To the Peach State, the Empire State of the South, Georgia, and Georgia is at 42%. 
nearly 10 million Georgians have received the vaccine. To the Palmetto State and South Carolina, 43.5% of sand lappers have been vaccinated. To North Carolina, North Carolina, 46.5% of Tar Heel State residents are fully vaccinated. And then our last three southern states here as we kind of scroll along the map. And the Commonwealth of Virginia, 57.4% of Virginians have been vaccinated. Over 10 million doses given thus far in Virginia. Now, that's going to be a high number. That's the highest yet, 57.4. I bet you West Virginia is going to be a whole lot lower. And it is. 39.7% of Mountain State residents have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, that is, with just 1.52 doses given at this point in West Virginia. And lastly, in the state of Maryland, the southern border state, they get the award here. 61.6% of Marylanders vaccinated, over 7.8 million total doses given in that state. And Maryland is your most vaccinated southern state at this point with almost 62% of its residents. 62% Maryland, 38% Mississippi and Alabama. That's a 24-point spread if we're liking it to college football. That's, That's a big difference. And I don't mean to get political here. But there's also a big difference politically between Alabama, Mississippi, and states like Virginia and Maryland. And maybe the Democrats are on to something. Maybe they know vaccines and wearing masks, if nothing else, might keep you alive. It could be part of it. Y'all talk with a southern accent. My name is John Rawl. Thank you for being on with us. We've got more to talk about. In fact, Stay with us, Hour 3, when we get into our headlines. It's Labor Day weekend coming up, and we'll tell you about some of the best deals you can find Labor Day 2021. That's going to be part of our headlines. Plus, Michelle Obama is going to receive a Freedom Award, and she's going to be getting that from the National Civil Rights Museum located in Memphis. I'll tell you about that in Hour number three so don't miss out on that information but as we continue on here with hour number two let's take a break and we will return just after the break and we'll tell you in hour number two in our coverage of all things southern we'll move over to some sports news of the day plus before the hour is up a look at some of the best-selling books going on right now and how to keep your child from being sent home to quarantine. That's a story up at WTOP.com, and I'll share that information with you before we get out of here for this second hour. 803-816-1170 is our number. Love to hear from you. Y'all is coming right back. Into going out with hopes you were staying in. 
I was feeling like myself for the first time in a long time. Till I bumped into some of your friends over there talking to mine. Then you rolled in with your hair in the wind, baby, without warning. I was doing alright, but just your side had my heart sewn in. The moon went hiding, stars quit shining, rain was driving, thunder, lightning. You wrecked my whole world when you came and hit me like a hurricane. Oh, them hurricanes. They're about ready to head on north out of Coral Gables. That would be the Miami Hurricanes. They got a big game Saturday against the number one Alabama Crimson Tide. Hello. We're back here on Talk with an Accent. Thank you, Luke Combs. He's a big college football fan. In fact, he's got uh, that song out called South On You that's sort of an anthem on the SEC network right now. Going to talk college football with you, but right now let's start off talking a little golf, if you don't mind. Lefty, Phil Mickelson, and Fred Couples. Love Fred Couples. Those two will serve as vice captains for Ryder Cup matches for American golfers. Captain Steve Stricker today named Phil Mickelson one of his vice captains, along with former Wake Forest golfer Fred Couples. And those matches, the Ryder Cup taking place in Wisconsin at Whistling Straits. And that's going to be set up for September 24th through 26th. Is that where the PGA Championship was held about three years ago? Gotta be. Gotta be. Let me see where that is on the map. Sorry, I haven't brushed up on my Wisconsin map here lately. Kohler, Wisconsin. No, that's not on Lake Michigan. That is near Milwaukee. Sheboygan. Sheboygan, sorry. I know people in Wisconsin are probably laughing at me right now for not knowing how to pronounce this word. And I apologize. It is well north of Milwaukee. It could be the same place. It was a cool golf course several years ago when they had that PGA Championship right there in Wisconsin. And it's right on Lake Michigan. A lot of these majors in golf end up being right beside big bodies of water where they're this year's PGA Championship was held at Kiowa, right next to the Atlantic Ocean. And let's see, the U.S. Open was in San Diego this year at Torrey Pines. This one might be that same course. I apologize. Again, I have not studied up on my Wisconsin map lately. Although I have been to Wisconsin for one day. I've been there for one afternoon. So all you Wisconsinites, perhaps send me a more updated map and we can kind of center in on what's going on but yes the Ryder Cup coming up real soon September 24th through 26th in Kohler Wisconsin while we're talking about golf and competitive golf and we're talking about things like Ryder Cup this week in women's golf it's the Solheim Cup that's taking place this very week you can tune in and I'll do my best I actually tried to tell you recently or or try to tell myself so that I could tell you who some of the LPGA golfers on the American team were when they got ready for the Solheim Cup and unfortunately it took me a lot of digging and I think I found it 
but I don't have it in front of me right now. But I do know I could probably list off a few of these off the top of my head. By the way, the Solheim Cup, this is a biennial golf tournament for professional golfers that are on the LPGA Tour or on the European Women's Tour. And it is a comp- competition every two years between Europe and the United States. And it's named after Karsten Solheim, a Norwegian-American golf club manufacturer who helped get the Solheim Cup going. So essentially it's, it's kind of the equivalent of the Ryder Cup. And it's going on this weekend. The Ryder Cup is a couple of weeks away at Whistling Straits, September 24th through 26th. So who is on this year's Ryder, or rather Solheim Cup team? I should have told you who was on the Ryder Cup team, and I, I think I'll be able to tell you that in a second. The members of the United States team include Lexi Thompson. She's on there. Danielle Kane. Allie Ewing. Fulton, Mississippian. A Mississippi State University alumna. We're talking about Mississippi State today in a big way. Allie Ewing is on the Solheim Cup team for Team USA. Austin Ernst is on there. You also have, I told you, Lexi Thompson's on there, the Floridian. Her fellow Floridian, Jessica Corda, is on Team USA, as well as Jessica's sister, Nellie Corda. Megan Kang is on Team USA. Lizette Salas. Jennifer Cupcho, former Wake Forest golfer, the first golfer to win the Augusta National Women's Amateur. She's on her, like, second year on the LPGA Tour. Brittany Altamari is also on there as a captain's pick. Another captain's pick is Mina Harrigay. And the last captain's pick, big fan of this youngster. She's only, I think, 19. She went straight to the LPGA Tour instead of going to college in California. You let me know she is on this Solheim Cup team for Team USA. As far as the European golfers, any golfers of note that you might remember or hear of, Charlie Hull and Georgia Hall, those are two British golfers. They're on the team. So is Anna Nordquist. So is Matilda Kastron, who I think is from Finland. Many of these LPGA European players played their collegiate golf in the United States. But that's essentially the breakdown All I can tell you, go Team USA. Good luck on their effort to win the Solheim Cup. That's going on this weekend in Toledo, Ohio. Perhaps you want to get in the the Tesla and head on up to Toledo to see some women's golf going on in 2021. As far as Ryder Cup, let's see if we have a breakdown of the Ryder Cup members. We just had an addition, thanks to his win over the weekend. Patrick Cantley, I think, qualified for the Ryder Cup team. So here is, and, and maybe this team's not totally filled out at this point. Should be, but they still have the Tour Championship that's going on this weekend, and you have to earn your way onto the Ryder Cup team. This was a event that should have been held in 2020 has been pushed back to this year so Ryder Cup 2020 is what it's called RyderCup.com the website 
As far as those Americans who are on Team USA for Ryder Cup, Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, the aforementioned Patrick Cantlay, Justin Thomas. And then you've got six more golfers that are going to be added. I guess they are waiting for the conclusion of this weekend's Tour Championship, the final L, the final PGA Tour stop, and a chance to win about $15 million if you are able to come through when it matters most. $15 million. According to RyderCup.com, they even have a breakdown of golfers on the bubble and very close to making it as picks on the team. Those golfers include Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, and Harris English. But way to go, Patrick Cantley, for getting qualified for Ryder Cup USA team. And that, again, taking place in just a couple of weeks, September 24th through 26th. Now let's talk a little football. The New Orleans Saints announcing today that their first game will not be this year, regular season game, inside Caesars Superdome. The game has been pushed over to Duval as the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium. Tia Bankfield is going to host the Saints and the Green Bay Packers on September 12th. That game's going to be a late afternoon kick, 425 Jacksonville time, 325 back on Bourbon Street for these two teams for their season over the Saints and the Green Bay Packers. Because of the power problems, because of the tremendous damage in Louisiana and New Orleans, the fact that the Saints have been away from New Orleans this week practicing in Dallas, technically at the Cowboys Stadium, AT&T Stadium there in Arlington. The NFL going ahead and being proactive in making this move for New Orleans. New Orleans will not have a home game, that is, until toward the end of September because after their game in Jacksonville, this so-called home game against the Packers, they'll be packing up and getting on the road for a couple of road games as they're at the Panthers week two. Week three, they're at the Patriots. And then they get back to Caesar Superdome for a game after that. But that's the news today for the Saints fans. You're going to have to wait just a little bit before you can see your team play in the Big Easy. Also in the NFL, Will Greer, who was cut by the Carolina Panthers on Tuesday, he's got a new team. The Dallas Cowboys have claimed this backup quarterback, former West Virginia Mountaineer QB, Will Greer, claimed off of waivers by the Dallas Cowboys, and he'll be big D-bound as one of the three quarterbacks Jerry Jones takes into the regular season. We got college football. It starts this week tonight as the UAB Blazers will be in Birmingham. Not, No, they won't be in Birmingham. They'll be leaving Birmingham, and they'll be going right down Interstate 65 to Montgomery, and they'll be cooking up a neutral site contest at the Crampton Bowl against the Jacksonville State Gamecocks out of the Ohio Valley Conference. Blazers and Gamecocks, that's Jacksonville State Gamecocks, that game televised on ESPN starting at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Montgomery time. College football right here in the South is upon us. And one more Southern sports story to pass along. The FSU Seminoles are going to honor Bobby Bowden with his signature on their helmets and on-field logos. You knew they were going to do a lot to honor the man who 
truly did kind of build this program to several national championships. He won two as a coach. Jimbo Fisher comes in there and wins a national championship for the Garnet and Gold in 2014. But again, Bobby Bowden's signature will be on on-field logos and on the back of the FSU football team's helmets. It would be neat to see, and it probably will be done, for that same signature to adorn the helmets of the West Virginia Mountaineers and hopefully even the Samford Bulldogs where Bobby Bowden went to college and his statue is outside of Samford's gate. When you go see a Samford Bulldog football game, Samford once called Howard College, and that's where Bobby Bowden played as a collegian and even got his head football coaching start at Howard College in Birmingham back in the 19, I guess it was late 50s when he was coaching there, early 60s, late 50s, early 60s when he was there at Howard, now Samford University. Coach Bowden died at the at the beginning of August at the age of 91 from pancreatic cancer. And now his signature, which is kind of neat. I'm, I'm seeing a picture. The Bobby Bowden signature will be on a football helmet. If you've ever seen the back of these football helmets now, they have a white area at the very bottom of the football helmets. A lot of times they'll say Riddell on the back. They'll be the name of the manufacturer of the helmet. And that's where last year in the NFL, the NFL teams had their little woke social justice messages like, uh, well, pick whatever person they put on there or Black Lives Matter, whatever. But that's the spot where Bobby Bowden's signature will be affixed to FSU's really cool-looking golden helmets a brand, an image that Bobby Bowden helped bring to Tallahassee when he was hired back in the 1970s. And that is a quick look at what's going on sports-wise across the southeast here today. When the Y'all Show comes back, stay with us. We have an article thanks to WTOP.com, how to keep your child from being sent home to quarantine. What are some of those tips? i got a couple of kids running around here at the Dixie Cafe. Maybe they need to be pulling out their notebook and taking notes here at the Hall Show for that because I know they don't probably want to go into quarantine. They probably don't want to go to school, but they don't want to go to quarantine either. That's coming up. Hang on. We're the Y'all Show. The South's homepage, y'all.com. We are the Y'all Show. I'm John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. Hope y'all are doing quite well today on this first day of September. And we got a little 
helpful information we want to pass along, and we're going to pass along courtesy of WTOP.com. That's a great Washington, D.C. area news outlet. And they have gone and talked to the Loudoun County, Virginia health director, and they've talked to that health director on how to keep your child from being sent home to quarantine. Some helpful, helpful information as schools, not only there in northern Virginia, start to open back, but across the Southland, schools have either opened or they're about to open, or in a lot of cases, they've already opened and now they're going to virtual because of COVID-19 infections. Dr. David Goodfriend is the Loudoun County, Virginia Health Director, and he says there will be kids with COVID infection coming into the school system. Our elementary schools are completely at risk because they're all too young to get vaccinated. The Delta variant of the coronavirus is definitely complicating the new school year. Dr. Goodfriend added, the last time we looked, about 20 to 30% of the cases of COVID were in people who were fully vaccinated. Fortunately, none of those folks were severely ill. But in terms of risk to the school, anyone who comes in and tests positive is a potential risk to spreading to others. And that's Dr. Good friend in Northern Virginia speaking with WTOP.com. Now, some information that's been passed along from Virginia that we're going to pass along from Dr. Goodfriend to you. He is outlining some steps parents and children both can take to avoid being asked to quarantine. So adults, get off that cell phone for a minute. And kids, get off that cell phone for a minute and listen up. If you don't want to be quarantined, you need to get vaccinated if you're eligible. If you're 11 years old or lower, you can't get vaccinated. So, that is something that the good doctor in Virginia wants to pass along. Dr. Goodfriend said, you could be one foot away from a COVID-positive student and remain in school Unless you get sick or you have a positive test, there's no interruption in your school. So get vaccinated if you can. That is one word coming in from this health director. Another thing to keep in mind from this health director on how to keep your child from being asked to quarantine, maximize distancing where possible. According to the doctor, you are considered a close contact if you are within three feet of another student. However, if you aren't wearing your mask appropriately, that distance extends to six feet. And let me take this moment to remind all y'all, when you wear a mask, you got to cover your mouth and, and your nose. In fact, some people say it's more important to cover your nose than your mouth. So wearing it around your, your what do they call that, a, a chin, chin, <laughs> I heard about it early on in COVID, uh, a chin, I, I, I guess I can say it, but it might not be appropriate, especially since I'm sitting here talking about kids. Don't wear it around your chin. If you're going to be having to wear a mask, wear it properly. That means going over your nose and your mouth because those little tiny COVID particles can can really cause problems out of your nose, for goodness sakes. 
I don't think we need to be so paranoid as we were early on in this thing about touching things. Keep your hands washed, but we don't have to be so paranoid of grabbing something somebody might have and, and be worried that that's going to cause COVID. Man, we went nuts, did we not? Back in March and April of last year, cleaning and washing and sanitizing everything. I think some of us even washed our underwear a couple of times. So you want to get vaccinated if you can. You want to maximize distancing where possible. The other thing that you need to do to keep your child from being quarantined is adhere to mask guidance. That's especially important to younger elementary school students who aren't old enough to be vaccinated. Listen up. Do what you're supposed to do. Mask and more. Good news is, even in what I call liberal northern Virginia, they're going back to school, it sounds like. They're going to in-person learning, and they're not doing this thing virtually like they did all last year in a large part of the country. For, for Just putting that out there, too. So keep those things again. Dr. Goodfriend has added, you don't need to be quarantined. As he said, for example, if a kindergartner spent the entire day wearing a mask but four feet away from a student who tests positive, according to Dr. Goodfriend in Virginia, you don't need to be quarantined as long as you're feeling fine. If you weren't wearing your mask, you're sent home for two weeks. Wear your mask and be vaccinated and more. So those are some helpful things being pointed out by the health director of Loudoun County, Virginia. We thought we'd take a moment here on this Wednesday Y'all Show and share the health news coming in from the Commonwealth. This is the show that accentuates all of us staying healthy and safe, maybe a little wealthy too. When we come back, we're going to wrap up Hour 2 up with a Southern Book Report. That's ahead. But I'm just a girl, not usually the kind to show my heart to the world. I'm pretty good at keeping it together. I hold my composure for worse or for better. So I apologize if you don't like what you see. But sometimes my emotions get the best of me and falling apart. Is as human as it gets You can't hide it, you can't fight But the truth is You can pretty lie And say it's okay You can pretty smile And just walk away Pretty much fake your way Through anything that's okay Oh, Carrie leads her life by the book, I believe. And if you want to live your life by the book, I got a couple of hot new books, according to the New York Times bestsellers, taking a look at what's atop the NYT list right now from the combined print and ebook fiction category. 
Coming in at number five is Colleen Hoover's It Ends With Us. It's been out about ten weeks now. Brand new this week. How about this guy, J.D. Barker and James Patterson's The Noise. It is number four. Also brand new from What a Writing Machine, Danielle Steele and her book Complications, brand new this week. This one's only been out about a month. It's Stephen King's latest book, Billy Summers, and brand new this week and number one on the New York Times bestsellers list, Bloodless from Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. The 20th book in the Pendergast series, Bloodless, number one in the print and ebook fiction category. When we go over and check out the combined print and ebook non fiction category, this one's been on the NYT list now for a full year. At number five, Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score. At four, his second week atop the NYT bestsellers list, Fox News' Tucker Carlson and The Long Slide. Donald Trump's favorite niece, Mary L. Trump. The Reckoning, brand new this week. And you know she's telling it all about old Uncle Donald. And this one, The Reckoning, out this week. Number two, Woke Incorporated. This one is by Vivek, what is that last name? Ramaswamy, the founder and executive chairman of the biopharmaceutical company Royavent Sciences, shares his perspective on American capitalism. This thing ended up at number two, Woke Incorporated. (laughs) And number one, Mark R. Levine, the great one, and his book that's been out just over six weeks now, American Marxism. It is number one on the nonfiction list from the New York Times. That wraps up Hour 2. Stay tuned. Hour 3 is headed your way. We've got more on Mississippi State University Bulldog football tradition and more. Also, we'll catch you up on what else is going on headlines-wise across the South. Stay tuned. When you hear that song, you know the Y'all Show is back with you. And that fight song of the South lets you know that we are here at least for another hour. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're here at the Dixie Cafe delivering you tasty nuggets of great Southern news and entertainment. And a little bit of information thrown in for good measure, too. Here in this final hour of our Wednesday conversation. We've got to look at some Southern sports news to pass along to start things off. Then we're going to take you down to Starkville, or if you're down on the coast of Mississippi, we'll take you up to Octiba Hall County. As today, Mississippi State is our featured school, stop number 42 on our voyage across the South, getting you ready for this weekend's big kickoff of college football. We're going to discuss Bulldog alumni. We're going to discuss MSU's traditions and tell you more about Mississippi State University. All of that is coming up in just a handful of minutes. More headlines coming your way before we get out of here today, including 
If you want to save a little money, there's actually some Labor Day weekend sales going on. Old John's going to tell you about them. That's coming up before we get out of here today. If you want to connect to us, we would love to hear you. We'd love to see you. Our number to connect to us via text is 803-816-1170. That's a number you can call 24-7. Y'all is available for y'all. 803-816-1170. 70. You can also drop us an email, mail at y'all.com, and we're standing by to get what you got. If you got something maybe special going on this Labor Day weekend, hey, let us know. We want to know. We want to know so we can pass it along. Also, you can listen to this Y'all show in our various podcast forms. If you're not fortunate enough to hear us on a great radio station in your neighborhood, we're available anytime you want it, kind of like that text line's available 24-7 at 803-816-1170. We have podcast options, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. All you got to do is go search Y'all Show, and we're right there. And you can just hit the button and start following it, and every show that we do magically appears. It's kind of a neat little thing that you can check out for yourselves. It's y'all, and we appreciate y'all for being on this show, powered by y'all.com. All right, let's go back into some of the sports stories of the day to start hour one. One last reminder, depending on when you're catching this, this might have already kicked off. It might be already in the books, perhaps. We got college football today. The Jacksonville State Gamecocks. And the UAB Blazers. I saw a story, I think it might have been on ESPN.com, about JSU's football program. This is a team, just like a lot of FCS teams, that in the course of, it was March of 2020 when things kind of went way crazy for the whole world. So somewhere in that time period, Jacksonville State, just like most every other college, was either wrapping up or about to start spring football for what they thought would be a normal fall 2020 campaign. Well, that all kind of got thrown to the back seat. So JSU ends up in 2020 playing a handful of games because FCS football in 2020 essentially got pushed back to the spring, although they did let some football teams play a handful of games. And so that was the case for the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. And if you go back and look at their 2020 so-called schedule, they ended up having a 10-3 and record in 2020. And that's because, I mean, this took a lot of, a lot of work because they put in one, two, three, four games in the fall of 2020 when Almost all FCS teams didn't even play football in the fall of 2020. And some played three. Jacksonville State was an exception. This team out of the Ohio Valley Conference that's soon going to be moving on if they haven't moved on already to the Atlantic Sun, I think is where they're going to. So their opener last year was a game that kind of got pushed, uh, kind of came out of nowhere, I think. Florida State was their opener. And JSU played pretty good. They lost that game at the Doak 41-24 to back on October 3rd. 
Then they played the Mercer Bears at their home stadium, Burgess Snowfield at JSU Stadium, and they beat the Mercer Bears 34-28 to the following week, October 10th. Then, pretty neat little series here, Jacksonville State played the North Alabama Lions, and they played that game up in Florence. And that was a win for them, 24-17. And now North Alabama and JSU are going to be conference mates with this new conference. Then they did squeeze in one last game back in the fall. They played down, I guess it's Miami where the stadium is. They played the FIU Panthers, and they won that game. This FCS team went all the way to South Florida and beat the FBS's mighty Florida International Panthers. They won that 19-10 to close out their four-game fall slate. Then they came back in the spring, and they played an Ohio Valley Conference schedule, and they did very good. They won the OVC. They won it with a game at Murray State. They won that one 28-14 back on April 11th. And then they went on to the FCS playoffs, got a win against Davidson. Seth Curry, you fell to the, Dave, uh, to the JSU Gamecocks, 49-14. Then Joe Biden's alma mater, Delaware, knocked them out of the playoffs. Delaware actually went to Jacksonville and won that game 20-14 back in May. So that was an FCS quarterfinal game. The point is, Jacksonville State, when they suit up and play UAB, they will have played roughly three seasons in the course of 12 months. That's a lot of football. But, hey, we're in the south, and Jacksonville State located right in the heart of Dixie in East Alabama. They love them some football there, and I don't think they're going to be complaining. And they've got a chance just like they did last fall when they traveled down and won against FIU they got a chance for another shocker and a chance to beat another FBS team. In this case, it would be the UAB Blazers. So, Gamecock fans, you should be pretty excited about what you got here set up for the 2021 schedule. So, the game tonight, again, it's UAB Jacksonville State. That's going to kick off at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central. ESPN is televising this game from the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery. And since some of you don't want to watch football on a Wednesday, well, guess what? I got some good news. There's a bunch of games set for Thursday. And some of these include top 25 teams. So let me just go ahead and give you a primer of college football's opening Thursday night. And this will be September 2nd games. Those games include Boise State playing UCF. You got USF traveling to Raleigh to take on the NC State Wolfpack on Thursday night. How about this all Tar Heel State native Tar Heel battle? The East Carolina Pirates are taking on the Appalachian State Mountaineers in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium. That's a precursor to a big game in that same stadium on Saturday. Clemson and Georgia play in that same venue. Also Thursday in the SEC Bowling Green flies south. They play the Tennessee Volunteers on the SEC Network Thursday night. UT Martin, they're going to be playing Western Kentucky on opening night. And then a couple of top 25 teams in action. Southern Utah is going to be playing number 25 Arizona State. Utah, the Utes, have Weber State coming in for a game. 
And then the other top 25 game, a little closer here to the south, this game's in the south, as Conway, South Carolina is where you'll find Thursday night the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, ranked number 22 in the country. The Shants and the Citadel Bulldogs will be playing Coastal Carolina again, number 22 in the country. The Bulldogs travel up U.S. 17 for this one, and that's part of the fun on Thursday night. And then plenty of games on Friday, plenty on Saturday. Welcome to the fall, y'all. It's college football time. One last college football note, Ed Orgeron, LSU coach, has said all LSU football players, coaches, and their families are safe after Hurricane Ida has passed through this week. That includes for Coach Orgeron, I think his mama still lives in LaRose, and that place is right on Bayou Lafouche, and I think it got hit pretty bad by Hurricane Ida. So hopefully his announcement that LSU's football players, coaches, and families safe includes his own mama in the state of Louisiana. And that's a quick look at sports. When we come back at y'all, we still have college sports talk to get to. We're going to focus on Mississippi State University. After the break, I'm going to tell you about MSU as an institution. And also, we'll discuss Mississippi State's famous alumni and some of the great traditions from cowbells to going around saying, go to heck Ole Miss. All that is coming up here as the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern Accent rolls on. The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. It ain't college football in Davis Wade Stadium unless a cowbell is involved. We're back on talk with an accent on all things Southern, and Mississippi State is our featured school today. We're in Stark Vegas getting you ready for the start of MSU's season. They've got Louisiana Tech as the opponent Saturday evening. Get your cowbell ready to clang for the maroon and white. And we're talking about Mississippi State today because Starkville is where we are wrapping up stop number 42 on our 44 city tour of great southern college football towns will be in Clemson on Thursday and a place called Tuscaloosa on Friday. That will be the end of our little 44 city tour. Thank you all for being along the way here 
for the madness. College football in Starkville, Mississippi is kind of a big deal. And here for the next few minutes, sit back and learn all about Mike Leach's school that he's currently the head football coach. And we'll talk about some of the famous alumni that went to school at Mississippi State in Starkville. Also, the traditions of MSU. Mississippi State University for Agriculture and Applied Science. Did y'all realize that's the official name of this school? It's, of course, commonly known as Mississippi State University. It is a public land-grant research university in Starkville. Starkville, if you haven't looked on a map lately, is technically in North Mississippi. It's in the Golden Triangle area. It is a little east of the center line going north to south in the state of Mississippi. It is the Golden Triangle is West Point, Columbus, and Starkville. And this is in the Black Belt area of the state of Mississippi. And it's very agricultural in that portion of the Magnolia State. And that's why way back in the day, it was 1878, that Mississippi Agricultural and Mechanical College was chartered by the good folks in the Mississippi legislature. Now, Mississippi State participates in the National Sea Grant College Program, and they're also part of the National Space Grant College and Fellowship Program. MSU, in addition to its campus, its main campus in Starkville, they also have auxiliary campuses in Meridian, Jimmy Rogers' hometown, Biloxi, Biloxi, well, it's my business partner's hometown. I'm trying to think of it. It's the most famous person from Biloxi. I don't think Robin Roberts is from Biloxi. I think she's from Gulfport, but close enough. And then Vicksburg. Who's the most famous person from Vicksburg? Hmm. Let me get back to you on that one. <laughs> okay, Meridian, Biloxi, Vicksburg. Those are in addition to, I mean, I could throw out Howie Morgan, Vicksburg, but he and I are not on speaking terms these days for all of you Howie Morgan fans. You know who the heck he is. Yes, those are the auxiliary campuses of Mississippi State University. MSU has been under the direction of Mark Keenum for quite some time. He is the 19th president of Mississippi State University, and he's been on the job since 2009. I remember when he was hired. He's a guy who used to work in the George W. Bush administration. He worked under the Undersecretary of Agriculture to Farm and Foreign Agricultural Services. That was actually his job, the Undersecretary there in the George W. Bush administration, and he has segued, I think he is from Boonville, is his home city, Boonville in northeast Mississippi. Oh, I'm sorry, he graduated from Corinth High School in Corinth, Mississippi, so I, apologies. He's got some kind of connection. Maybe he went to school, maybe two-year degree from northeast Mississippi, or as they say in that part of the state, northeast. I went to northeast. The Tigers. He went there before ultimately going on and getting his bachelor's, his master of science, and a Ph.D. all from Mississippi State University, Dr. Mark Keenum. Let's take a moment to tell you about Mississippi State as far as a university. It's a big school. And one thing that I remember when Mark Keenum was hired, he came on a show I produced called Bully Barkline. Did that show with Gene Swindoll of Gene's Page. Did that show for 10 years. And Mark Keenum, when he was hired as president, came on. 
our show, Bully Bark Line. At that time, I believe it was being produced at Cowbells, a wonderful little place just outside of Starkville. And he mentioned when he did that interview about how his vision was to have 25,000 students at Mississippi State University. And golly, Mark Keenum, I think you've done that. I'm, I'm actually trying to pull up the current numbers for MSU's enrollment. Ah, oh, you're a little bit off, Dr. Keenum. Maybe we'll blame it on COVID. Currently, Mississippi State's enrollment is right around 23,000. And when he made that statement years ago when he was on Bully Barkline with me, I think MSU enrollment there was around 17,000. So he has definitely grown the campus. In fact, to Mississippi State's credit, they have made kids who are from Mississippi the hot school to go to. There are portions of Jackson, Mississippi, the suburbs, if you will, where going to Mississippi State is not the norm. You don't go there. You go to that school in Oxford usually, or you go to Alabama or LSU. But Mississippi State, no, 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 not having that. In the last couple of years, that's kind of changed. From what I'm told from the JAs of the world or the Jackson Preps of the world or the MRAs of the world, you feel me, people in Mississippi? You feel me? And I think a lot of that's got to do not with Mississippi State's rise, but it's got to do with the University of Mississippi's decline in recent years. But back to Mississippi State, that is what we're focusing on here today. Let me tell you about some of Mississippi State's most famous alumni. A lot of athletes have come through. Even a best-selling author. Let me go to Ranker.com. They have ranked the most famous Mississippi State University alumni. It will pick it up here. Some of these probably I have not heard of, but I'll do my best. We'll pick it up at number 15. I don't know who this is. She's number 15 on Ranker.com's list of Mississippi State alumni. It's Michelle Grossman, a meteorologist. And now, they may have several meteorologists on this list of MSU alumni, and that's because Mississippi State University was, I think, the first and is the leading college-going period that has a degree in not meteorology but broadcast meteorology. If you want to go be a Weather Channel superstar, Mississippi State University is probably the best place for you to go. And I think a lot of that is done via correspondence. So they get to claim you as one of their alums. And that's the case for number 15 on Ranker.com's list of Mississippi State alumnus fame, Michelle Grossman. Coming in at number 14, I love this guy's name. He played a little bit professionally as a cornerback. Played for nine seasons. And he's one of those five players that I can remember that played professional football that went to school collegiately at Mississippi State University. It's Fred Smoot. At one time he played for the Washington Redskins. Born in Jackson, Mississippi. Fred Smoot, a Mississippi State University alumnus. How about Betty Davis? Not the actor or actress, the famous Betty Davis. I was. Now, this is another TV meteorologist, Betty Davis. Shows up as a Mississippi State University alumnus. 
I don't know where she works. How about CPA Mary Alice Taylor? She has served in senior executive positions with Fortune 100 companies until she retired back in 2000, and she's a MSU alumna. Mary Alice Taylor. Up next on the Ranker.com list of Mississippi State University famous alums, baseball player, Greenwood, Mississippi native, Paul Mahome. I'm sorry, pronounce Paul Mahalem. Paul Mahalem. Played in the MLB for the Pirates and more. MSU baseball alum. And, of course, Mississippi State does have a very proud college baseball program. So much so, they are your current national champions of college baseball. Up next on Ranker.com's list of Mississippi State University famous alums, another TV meteorologist. They trend toward the meteorologist ladies here on this list. Cindy Pressler, a South Dakotan. And she works for weatherstl.com. I guess that's St. Louis, and that's where she evidently is a meteorologist there. If you're a St. Louis area resident, you probably are aware of Cindy Pressler, and she is a bulldog. Up next, don't tell me, another one? Yeah. How about a couple more coming for you? More TV weather women. They don't like the weather guys, evidently, from Mississippi State. Lyra O'Brien, who is on TV in Milwaukee. She's on the list. Number eight, Sandy Gallup, a meteorologist on TV with News 25 at noon. I don't know where that is. Sandy Gallup, how about another one? This is, I believe she works at WABC, weekend meteorologist. That's pretty good. Amy Freeze, MSU alumnus. Hey, we got a dude coming out of this program. Kent Earhart. He's also in the St. Louis area on TV. A Mississippi State University alumnus. How about Arthur Williams Jr., American insurance executive, founder of the A.L. Williams & Associates. is a Mississippi State alumnus. The late Machine Gun Kelly, American gangster from Memphis during the Prohibition era, era, a Mississippi State alum. Is that something that they're proud of? (laughs) Yeah, but that's what Ranker.com's got him listed. That's a a hard one. I'm going to have to do some more research on this guy. Machine Gun Kelly listed as a famous Mississippi State University alumnus. Okay, up next is a guy that if you follow baseball, you're aware of this name, Rafael Palmero, born in Havana, Cuba, played for Mississippi State back in the mid-'80s, went on to a very long baseball career, played for the Texas Rangers, I believe for the Orioles too. I I think I'm right on all that. He got in trouble for using things he shouldn't have and therefore will likely never end up in the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame. But Rafael Palmero, who, to his credit, went to Omaha a couple of months ago and saw Mississippi State win its national championship in person. Pretty cool. Kristen Cornett is a Mississippi State University alumnus. She is also a TV meteorologist. And lastly, according to this list, the most famous Mississippi State University alum, according to Ranker.com, is John Dye, 
D.Y.E. A film and television actor known for his role as Andrew in the TV drama Touched by an Angel had no idea that John Dye went to MSU. Now, this list from Ranker definitely left off some people. So, if you don't mind, let me give you my addendum to the list of most famous Mississippi State University alumni, okay? Let me give a shout-out to Eric Dampier, basketball stud, played for the Dallas Mavericks. He's a Mississippi State University. I think a guy much more famous in baseball than even Rafael Palmero, his old teammate for Ron Polk, Will Clark, the Louisiana native, San Francisco giant slugger, played first base. He's a Mississippi State guy. Got to give credit to Ron Polk. I don't think Ron Polk went to school at Mississippi State, but of course he made Mississippi baseball, Mississippi State baseball, what it is. So I got to give him a lot of credit. Also, they on their list didn't mention another former Mississippi State baseball player. This guy knew that baseball wasn't going to be his answer when he got done playing, I think just for two years when he was a student there. So he ended up going to law school at a place called Ole Miss. And then he decided on the side to start writing books. Mississippi State University alumnus John Grisham, who is definitely, I think, the top author in America right now and has been. Who would fight me on that? I don't think too many of you would. Grisham, Mississippi State University alum and an alumnus of the University of Mississippi, too. Just just saying. How about some others? This list did not include Middleton, Tennessee's own Bailey Howell, arguably the best college basketball player MSU's ever seen. Bailey Howell, who went on and played for the Boston Celtics, is a Mississippi State University alumnus. How about the late politician John Stennis, the Stennis Space Center named after him? He's a Mississippi State University alumnus. How about Hartley Peavy? Now, you may not know the full name Hartley Peavy, but if you're into music, Peavy, you know, the company that makes like amps and stuff like that, and I guess they make guitars. A Mississippi State University alumnus is Hartley Peavy. How about this lady? Your current United States Senator for the state of Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn. She had to have been some of the first female classes to ever go to school in Starkville because they used to be a boys-only school until around 1960. And Marsha Blackburn, who went to Mississippi State and got her degree not in international politics, Marsha Blackburn's undergraduate degree from Mississippi State University, home economics. And then, uh, let me give another name that was at the recent College Baseball World Series, a guy that was in person there. Jonathan Papelbon, former Philadelphia Phillies pitcher. I think he won a World Series with the Boston Red Sox. How about Dak Prescott, MSU alumnus? That might be most of the heavy hitters that I can think of from this school in Starkville, Mississippi. Of famous alums. I'm, I'm sorry I had to do that addendum. You know what? I missed one. And I would say arguably perhaps the most famous Mississippi State University alumnus. And certainly if you include fame 
and football together, this guy probably is, without a doubt, the most famous university alum there from MSU. And that is former Mississippi State University football player, United States Navy veteran from World War II, the late. I don't want to give it away quite yet. I don't want to do that yet. I have something to accompany my setup here, if I can pull it up here. Yeah, here it is. This is from 1997, and I don't mean to do this to brag on myself, but how cool is it that I have this recording from 1997 right here to play for you, and it is, in my opinion, the most famous alum of Mississippi State University talking about me and my school, who I am definitely not the most famous alum of my college, which is the Citadel, of which this guy references here in this clip. So let's take you back to 1997, just before this gentleman passed away in 1998. Here is the most famous Mississippi State University alum talking about yours truly, John Rawl. Thank you, Mr. Flyer. I appreciate it. Thank you, my man. And uh, I think Jennifer out here wanted to come in here and... Who shoot this thing? Hello, brother Tommy. My name is Jerry Clower. I'm a world champion coon hunter. You are a coon hunter. Don't worry about your future son-in-law. I done checked this old boy out. He ain't one of us when it comes to hunting raccoons, but he's one of us when it comes to being a gentleman and knowing how to say yes, sir and no sir, and yes ma'am, and no ma'am, and being kind and decent because he's a graduate of the Citadel. And not only that, he's a Christian. So I'd rather for him to be a Christian and be a gentleman than to be a coon hunter. You can teach him coon hunting (sighs) later on in his life. Good luck to all of y'all. I'm Jerry Clower. If I'm lying, I'm dying. All right. How about that? Again, Jerry Clower, that was a little favor he did for me for one, one of my former ex-father-in-laws. Okay. And that was from 1997. I think he passed away in 1998. And I got to know Jerry through his longtime manager, a close friend of mine, the late Tandy Rice. And I, I treasure that recording from Mississippi State University's most famous alum and a former Mississippi State football player in Jerry Clower. Let me wrap up here talking about Mississippi State. We've got to talk about their traditions. Of course, they got the lovable bully, the costume mascot, the live mascot, both named bully there on the Starkville campus. You have the cowbell. Now, that one is probably their most famous tradition at Mississippi State. It goes way, way back to when they used to have games against that school from Oxford and the cowbell was quickly brought on as a symbol of Mississippi State University, and it has stood the test of time, both a visual and auditory symbol of MSU pride. Legend has it, a wandering Jersey cow became a good-luck charm back in a mid-20th century game after having strolled onto the field during an untimely victorious home football game. And now today, students bring in cowbells for games. you got to be careful as they put up on the billboard there at Davis Wade, ring responsibly. But that is certainly maybe the most famous tradition 
of Mississippi State is ringing them bells. Also, the colors, maroon and white. Truly a great tradition for Mississippi State. They love those colors, and they wear them proudly on game day. The colors of Mississippi State go all the way back to 1895 when student-athletes played in the first football game. In addition to displaying clothing in shades of one or the other, or both, to promote team spirit, today's members of the Bulldog family shout the popular maroon and white cheer throughout each game. And if you go to Davis Wade or any MSU sporting event, you're going to hear half the stadium say maroon and the other half say white. The drill field on the campus there is right in the center of all things there. On that drill field, you'll have a statue to the college's very first president, former Confederate general and Charleston, South Carolina native Stephen D. Lee. Because Mississippi State, of course, started as Mississippi A&M College, founded in 1878 as a land-grant institution with a military tradition there. And they used that drill field for more than 70, 80 years as a place to go out and prepare for war, of which many Mississippi State alumni have given the ultimate sacrifice through the years. Another cool tradition is MSU cheese. they got a shop right there when you're on campus, and Mississippi State has some very, very tasty cheese, and you can pick that up while you're strolling through campus in Starkville. This tradition here started some 15 years ago on game days at Mississippi State. If you go to a game, you can't miss the junction. And it is right outside of Davis Wade Stadium at Scott Field. That is where the dog walk happens on game day. And the junction is a sea of tents and fans and delicious catfish and chicken and plenty of your favorite beverage. And it is a spectacle to see at a Mississippi State football game. And those are some of the many traditions that you can find at Mississippi State. You can go to the website msstate.u slash about slash traditions and learn a whole lot more about state and its fun and how this school, this SEC member, stands out from the pack with its colors, its beloved bulldog mascot, Bully, and ringing them cowbells and even a little, whoa, shoot this thing, Jerry Clower. When the Y'all Show returns, we're going to start wrapping this Y'all Show Wednesday edition up. Quick look at some headlines. That's ahead on Y'all. Mr. Humboldtian, uh, TG, getting this set up here as we're wrapping up. It is a party time. We're having fun. We hope you're having fun. Plenty of reasons to have fun. we got a Labor Day weekend upon us. College football in the air. Weather is tolerable right now. Let me wrap up, speaking of Labor Day, telling you a few things here. Labor Day sales 2021. Some good deals coming from Samsung, Wayfair, Bed Bath & Beyond. I'll do my best to pass along Walmart, not that they need the promotion, 
has a host of Labor Day deals. You can go to their website and find that out. Samsung has deals on phones and more, including up to $900 in trade-in credit, plus a free cover for a Galaxy S Fold 3 5G or Z Flip 3 5G. That from Samsung. How about Wayfair? If you want to spruce up your abode, go to Wayfair's Labor Day sale. Living room seating is up to 50% off. Outdoor furniture is 60% off right now. Bed, bath, and beyond. Home goods all over the place there. Deals right now. Labor Day weekend. Black & Decker four-slice toaster ovens for just $20. Also, you can get a Magic Bullet four-piece essential blender set. Something you've always wanted, I know. 20 bucks is what that'll set you back. Mattresses. Lots of places have mattresses on sale Labor Day weekend. You can get 25% off Casper mattress bundles and 15% off on mattresses, pillows, and sheets right now. Of course, check every place you go to make sure some of these specials. Heck, they might even have a better special when you walk in the store. A Tempur-Pedic bed. You can save $700 on adjustable mattress sets with a $300 instant gift card or instant gift announcement thing from Tempur-Pedic. Those, again, are some of your specials going on for Labor Day 2021. To Memphis we go, and Michelle Obama, former First Lady, is one of a whole bunch of honorees. She's going to be honored with a 2021 Freedom Award from the National Civil Rights Museum. Other honors going to the Poor People's Campaign, led by Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II, and also Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris. The Freedom Awards ceremony is set for October 14th, and it also marks the 30th anniversary of the National Civil Rights Museum, which is adjacent to the hotel, the Lorraine Hotel, where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. That's actually part of it, of the National Civil Rights Museum. Don't know if Michelle Obama is going to be in the Bluff City, That event in October will be broadcast from the Orpheum Theater in Memphis, and it will be on that night at 7.30 p.m. Freedomaward.org is a website you can learn more about Michelle Obama and those others receiving the 2021 National Civil Rights Museum Freedom Award. Now from Memphis to Middle Tennessee we go for our last news headline of the day, and this is really unfortunate. Bonnaroo has been canceled. And it's not because of COVID-19. This big event in Manchester, Tennessee, that draws tens of thousands of people, unfortunately, it's being canceled because of the heavy rain from Hurricane Ida that has just passed through this week. And it has led to the cancellation of the Bonnaroo Music and Arts Festival, one of America's biggest music festivals. A statement from the festival say says we are absolutely heartbroken to announce that we must cancel Bonnaroo. While this weekend's weather looks outstanding, uh, currently Centeroo is waterlogged in many areas. The ground is incredibly saturated on our toll booth paths and the campgrounds are flooded to the point that we are unable to drive in or park vehicles safely. Again, Bonnaroo, which has been pushed around because of COVID-19, it was rescheduled for this weekend and people were probably already en route to go to it and it was supposed to be i think held earlier this year but it's just been a a big mess and here right on the eve 
of this event that sometimes draws 80,000 people to Manchester, Tennessee, for goodness sakes. An event that was going to have singers the likes of the Avit Brothers, John Party, Billy Strings, and a whole bunch of people at this 650-acre event space canceled now because of Hurricane Ida pushing through that portion of Middle Tennessee. I know a lot of people had that definitely bookmarked for a Labor Day weekend extravaganza, and we're going to have a good old time. Probably doing some things they shouldn't be doing, frankly. Well, they're going to have to find somewhere else to do it now that Bonnaroo canceled. We're going to wrap up the Y'all Show one quick segment, and it's coming up next. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everybody, for being along for the fun of this Wednesday Y'all Show. Why don't you say we come back together as one happy family for Thursday. We're going to have a great show. We're on our 43rd stop come Thursday on our tour across the southeast, 43 of 44 stops. We're going to be in Death Valley, Clemson, South Carolina. The Tigers are our featured school. Also on the Thursday Y'all Show Plenty of news, plenty of entertainment news to be passing along to you. So don't miss out on the action. John Rawls signing off from the Dixie Cafe. Have a great rest of your day.